Welcome to the podcast, The Director's Podium. I'm your host, Adam Christie. Our guest today is beyond a legend. He is one of the most unique and gifted conductors in the whole world. He is a former retired conductor of the New England Conservatory Wind Ensemble. He has written some very popular books, including a guide to score study for the wind band director, um, which helped me directing choirs as well. It's hard to find anywhere in the world he has not been. Um, so please join me in welcoming Dr. Frank Battisti. Frank, thanks so much for being with us today. Nice to be with you. Um, Frank, can you tell us what made you want to be a teacher? Well, um, when I was um, in junior high school, high school, uh, there was a piano tutor, tuner in our neighborhood who used to take some of us to concerts in Ithaca, Ithaca College, Cornell. And he took us to uh, uh, a few concerts by the Ithaca College concert band conducted by Walter Beeler. Uh, this was in the mid 19, just, just after the Second World War. So it would have been some time between 1945 and 1949. And the band was made up of all ex military band and orchestra players. And it was a terrific, terrific band. When I heard the band, I knew I wanted to be a band conductor. Uh, so my first, my first uh, passion was to be a conductor. But when I became a high school band director, I realized that if I wanted to conduct a great school band or any great band, that I'd have to have great players. Therefore, I had to become a great teacher. And fortunately, the first two years that I taught, I did not, I was not responsible for a band. I only taught lessons. Therefore, I could concentrate on becoming a teacher. And so I studied all the instruments. Uh, and I think I got to be a really quite good teacher. Um, so, uh, you know, I, that, that was, first of all, almost, I wanted to do it because I wanted to conduct a great band. But as I did it, I fell in love with it. I love teaching. I, I, it gives me such great satisfaction and fulfillment to teach and to help people. Um, so what turned out to be something for my own, uh, when, something I wanted, it turned into something that uh, was a passion for teaching. Mm. Um, Frank, you had taught since 1953, is that right? That's when I started to teach, yes. Yes. Um, and I'm wondering, out of all your years that you taught, what are you most proud of professionally? I'm most proud of all the people who are now 50 and 60 years old that played in my high school band and who still play and make music, go to concerts. And I know that there's a lot of them because we had a reunion in 2006. About 450 kids came back. We did a poll. 75% of them were still involved in music. In other words, I made them music lovers. See, that's what I think the purpose of music education is. 
is to create people who love music, not love the activity of it, but find in it something that is fulfilling, that allows them to feel things and experiencing things that are beyond what they can uh, deal with in the in the in the real world quote real word the yeah, the physical world mm-hmm. and um i mean uh, that's what i'm really proud of that's 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 the bullseye that's the one that i want to do i i don't i mean i want them to love the band that i'm conducting and they do but more important i want them to fall in love with music so that and and we don't know whether we succeed or not because when they're with us, they're captive. The only way we can tell if we are influencing them is to find out what they're doing when they're not with us, how they choose to use their time, how they choose to use their money. Do they go to concerts? Do they buy recordings? What do they buy? What do they read? That tells us whether we have been successful. So would you say... Um, that when you, when a student goes on, that they, they move from student to friend, has that happened for you? Oh, yes, definitely. In fact, all during the pandemic, every single month, I've had a Zoom meeting with ex-members of my high school band. Happens every month. That's great. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. By the way, um, the, when I was a high school band director, I realized that I, 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 was, I was interested. Am I affecting them? Am I influencing them? So I took a manila folder, uh, stapled in some blank sheets, put the name of every single student on each one of them, and told them that I wanted them to tell me what they did when they were work with me. I wanted to know what they were doing when they had choices. That gave me insights into whether I was having any influence. They would write in. I'd collect them every weekend, write little notes to them, pass them back. So we had this kind of thing going on that basis in which I was gaining insight into what they were doing outside when they had choices. What were they choosing to do? That gave me, well, maybe I'm influencing that person. That person decided to go to hear the Cleveland Orchestra at Bailey Hall at Cornell. Maybe I had something to do with it. I don't know. Frank, what what do you what what's on your list of things to do that you haven't done yet that you want to accomplish? Well, that's a good question. Uh, um, uh, well, I'd like to commission every great composer in the world to write a piece. <laughs> do you know how many commissions you've done yeah i i i it's it's well over it's probably somewhere between 60 and 70 wow and i mean you know and they're they're you know they're pulitzer prize winning composers and grebmeyer winning composers they're you see i i really think that we are what we consume and so if we consume good stuff if we consume high quality, I mean, an English literature teacher selects the best, the books written by the best authors in the English language. 
we should try to offer our students the best things created by the best offers in the musical language. And so that's why it's so important to do something about the literature from the elementary school to the high school. I mean, I, I guess if I had a lot of money now, I would try to interest uh, great composers to write for young bands. Hmm. Hmm. Because you are what you consume. I mean, if I read, you know, if I read uh, classical comics uh, that don't challenge my intellect, that doesn't challenge me too emotionally, in other words, doesn't make me think, make me, I have to, I have to, I have to commit myself to wanting to discover. That's what great music does. It's not, it, it's not like the sun where you just sit out it and, and you, you feel it. That's what entertainment music is. Classical music demands something of you, but the reward is incredible. Let's t- let's talk a little bit about the conductor as a leader, because um, you have to get a group of people to do something and get them from where they are to where you want them to be. So it's a it's got a lot of leadership involved in it. Um, Frank, first off, can you tell us what is your definition of a leader? A leader is someone who can make people do the things they should do, and hopefully, having them arrive at it at thinking it's what they want to do. But not always? Not always. But no. But a leader gets people to do what they should do. I mean, look at what we're what we face now. We face a pandemic, right? We've got to get everybody vaccinated. Leadership is it. We're going to find out what kind of leadership we have. Because I have to make people do the things they should do. Because that that will determine how successful this we are. So when you were younger and you said you saw that uh, band director or you saw that band and that's what made you want to be a band director, um, was there any part of it that you loved the leadership part where you're like, he's leading that group. That's what I want to do. I want to lead that group, not just be in it. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the thrill was the thinking of getting up there and being able to make that happen. Mm-hmm. You see, I think, I think leadership, I think it starts, at, any great leader has a vision. They have to. You have to know what the objective is. You can't be firing out there into space. You have to have a clear idea of what you want to achieve. Then you have to be able to articulate it. And all of us have different ways of how we articulate what our vision is. But most of all, after you have the vision, after you've articulated it to the people that you're trying to affect, you have to be able to inspire, inspire people. That is the key. I have to be a leader that inspires. I can't just be a leader. I have to be a leader that inspires because if I can inspire them, they they commit to it. Then you know, it's it's an effort on 
all of our parts. The, the you and me become us. And that's what good leadership does. What was your greatest challenge or obstacle as a leader? A realization and appreciation of time. Uh, because I tried to go very fast when I was young. I wanted to make change like crazy. I wanted it right now. Trying to go too fast too soon creates problems. It might even create revolutions. And what, what was important was that I had an appreciation for time. Because, I mean, I think that's true in the world today. We want everything to happen right now. Every single vested interest wants what they want right now. And if one looks back over history, one will find that the great things have come as a result of some perseverance over a period of time and then the achievement of it. I mean, in the Continental Congress, when they were on the verge of losing everything, they came right up, they're ready to vote on the declaration and, and the Southern delegates said, because there was a, there was a clause in there outlawing slavery. They said, if you don't take it out, we don't sign the declaration. And John Adams was absolutely against any deletion. But Benjamin Franklin leaned over John's shoulder and says, John, we've come so far. If you don't compromise, we will have nothing. We'll have to deal with that in another day. Let's, let's, let's achieve what we can achieve now. And so I, I learned that you have to stay someplace 15 years to get what you want. And you get it solidly. So everybody, everybody understands you, supports you, likes you, because you have made a commitment to this community. Doesn't come in for two years looking for another job. 15, 15 years. And an and experienced teacher told me that when I was a young teacher. They, that person was right on that it takes time to change people's ideas. It takes time for them to say, I trust you. I trust you. You're here to help. You're not going to leave in five minutes. All that has to be done. Once that's in place, the sky's the limit. Now, I've heard people say before four years, but I've never heard 15. 15. Why 15? 15? Just takes a long time. You, you mean, for? do you think it's because the whole cycle from kindergarten through high school will no, have no, cycled through? It's the whole community, to oh. sell the whole community on everything. So that they they absolutely support you completely. Do you know who Jack Welch is, former CEO of uh, yep, General yep, Electric? Yep. You know, he said when when asked what he would have done differently, he said that he would have he, he wouldn't have waited so long to do changes. He said he wishes he would have gone faster. Um, but you said something that I found very profound. You said, if you go too quickly, you may even get a revolution. Yes. Um, what do you mean by that? Okay, I mean, the Hungarians in 1958 went too far and the Russians came in and crushed it. The Czechoslovakians 
in uh, whatever it was, uh, in the Velvet Revolution, they pushed just far enough and got what they wanted. So I have to know exactly how to push. And I don't, see, I don't want to create division. I don't want to push, and there are going to be some people, because, because they, they're, they're my, they're, they support me. I want to bring everybody along. So when I finally get there, the community is united and in support of what I do. It just takes me a long time. It's like wine. You can't, you know, you can't rush that. It, there, there is a natural process. And you have to, you just have to appreciate time. I, I, I just, I think, I think that we have lost that almost completely. People are, want instant everything. And as a result, the country gets more and more divided. Hmm. We have no more. We, I mean, I have to keep common denominators with all parts of my community while I over that 15 years. And when I start, I don't have that. And it will, it, the different constituencies will develop. And I've got to keep track of all of those things. And I've got to make sure I push where I need to push, pull back. But I want to end up. I want to end up so everybody in the community loves what I'm doing, loves what the kids are doing, loves everything about it. That's my idea. Now, as wonderful as you are, Frank, and I'm just wondering, did you encounter students that didn't click well with you? And then how did you handle that? I only had one kid that ever told me or ever quit my band in in 14 years. Wow. And, and when that kid came in, said to Mr. he said, Mr. B, he says, I know what you want us to do. I know what you want us to feel. I know how what you want us to do. He says, I really want to do it. He says, but I don't think I can find it in music. I said, well, can you find it in another art? Because if 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 you can, then I'm going to let you... I'm going to say, good. If you can't, you're not going to leave because this is too important. He said, well, I think I could find it in dance. I says, great, dance. But that art experience is so important for every single kid that once I have them, they're not going to get away from, they're not going to lose it. So that was it. But And, and you know, the thing about it is, you know, we teach by modeling. We don't teach by talking. Kids don't believe anything adults say or uh, people in authority say, but they believe what they see. And so I, as a person, have got to model what I want, how I want my kids to behave. And I can remember I was in the second year of teaching. I was sitting in my desk. It was the second day of school. This trombone player comes in and he says to me, Mr. Batiste, I don't like music. And I says, well, Randy, why are you in band? <laughs> he says, he looks right at me. He points at me and he says, I'm watching you. You're different than the rest of them. Hmm. 
man, that was amazing. I didn't realize they were watching me. I thought they were listening to me. Um, what, 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 as a leader, as a teacher, what were your weaknesses or what are your weaknesses? And then how did you compensate for those? I, I, I never look at it that way. I, uh, we're all bought, born with, with the, the talent that we have. And, uh, for me, uh, I, I don't have the greatest talent, uh, of everybody. There are a lot of people with a lot more talent than I do. But I tell you one thing, nobody works harder than I do. So I just work hard. And I don't worry about deficiencies. I worry about growth. I don't look back. I don't. I, I You go with what you brought. This is it. This is me. And all I can do is go and try to develop all that I have. Um, and and you know I you know I when I was young I thought I mean I thought I was listening but I couldn't listen I mean when I at this point in my life I realized I wasn't listening at all. Um, I mean I worked on my on my listening. I mean I worked on everything. You know, and I went to the I went to the best teacher I could go to. I also I also and this I think is really important. I always went to places where the people around me were better than me because it stimulated me. I didn't want them as good. I didn't want them. I wanted to be challenged and inspired. I mean, listen, if you're, in a, if you're teaching at a place where the person in charge is Gunther Schuler, and when he comes into rehearsal and you listen to what he can hear with those ears, you realize how, how far you got to go, you know. But what an inspiration! What an inspiration! Um, about your, let's talk about Mount Rushmore of composers or conductors. Who would you say is on your Mount Rushmore of conductors? Well, I got to I mean, I, I've got to put put some of the ones that were so important to me when I was young, and it would mm-hmm. be Toscanini. George Zell, who I heard conduct, I heard the Cleveland Orchestra every single year for 25 straight years. Hmm. Uh, uh, I, I love Obato, and I, 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 I just think Robert Shaw is a is a very, very special conductor. And he had ties to the Cleveland Orchestra, didn't he? Yes, he was a he was an apprentice, in a sense. With did you with know Zell. him personally? Uh, yes, I did, and I wish I, I wish I could have known him better because he you know after every rehearsal he would sit down and write a letter to everyone in the ensemble and they were long letters talking about what they were doing but philosophically filled with important things there's a there's a book of those uh published by yale university press dear people right pardon is it Dear People? No, uh, no, I can't remember what the title of it is right now. I have it. I can't remember what. It yeah. Is. Oh, the Robert Shaw Reader. Rich Robert Shaw Reader. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there are some incredible things in there. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. What yeah. about composers? Who would you say are you, is on your Mount Rushmore of composers? Well, it has to be, Bach has to be there, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, if you only can have four. So uh, I put Bach and Beethoven up there. And I guess I'd put Stravinsky and maybe Sibelius. How about Mozart? Mozart didn't make the grade, huh? Yeah, well, it, 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 it between Mozart, if you had five, then uh, I mean, it's a matter of I mean, I I put I put Beethoven instead of Mozart because Be- Beethoven changed music. Hmm. Mozart just gave us some great music, but Beethoven changed it. I mean, those symphonies, you know. I mean, they, you know, the third symphony is about four times as long as any other symphony ever written up to that point. I mean, he really changed music making. I mean, one could make a case for Wagner. By the way, have you read uh, Alec Ross's new book on Wagnerism? I have not. Is it good? Oh, oh it's, it's excellent. Did you read his book on uh, The Rest is Noise? Who is, if you haven't read the... the Rest is Noise, read it. Who's Every the author again? Person, Alec Ross. R O S S. He writes for the New Yorker, but his his book on the on uh, the rest is noise. I, I mean, I can't tell you. You won't put the book down. Hmm. It, it's incredible. Yeah, I'll have to look at that. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the biggest leadership myth that you've ever heard? Leaders are born. You think it can be? Um, you think somebody can be made into a leader? I think you develop into a leader. I mean, you. We're, as I said, we're all born with certain talents. Some might be born with more leadership, basic, but it's what you do with talent. It's what you do with talent. There's a lot of talented people who are totally achieve nothing because it's what you do with what you have. I mean, that's, you see, rather than looking around for something, just get busy and try to develop what you have. That's that's my approach. So do, do you think, Frank, that a conductor or leader should have political skills? Yes, I do. Yeah. Because uh, politics, uh, there's nothing that goes on that is does not have political aspects to it you have to know how the game is played and you have to play the game fairly and you have to use i mean if i were young and if i were 25 years old i might decide that i want to become a senator because i want to help people. I want to improve people's lives. I mean, think of how different the country would be if Leonard Bernstein was president. How, how, what do you think would be different? I think that the country, I think the arts would certainly be in a more prominent position. Because Bernstein, you know, didn't believe we'd never be a cultured society until we became a listening society. That means we have to develop listeners, lovers of music. And once people love music and listen, you've, cr- you, you've created what you want. 
But as long as they're not listening, and I'm talking about listening in the sense that it's an intellectual pursuit. It isn't something that just, I mean, I have hearing, thank God I was born with it. Listening is the ability to focus on something, to try to discover something. And you do it because you want to discover. That's what I do when I listen to a classical piece of music. I'm, I'm focused on this, trying to discover what the hell is in there. And I feel it. In, I, I, my intellect is challenged and my emotions are challenged. Both. It isn't just my emotions. And it isn't just my intellect. It's both of them. And they both come into play. And after it's all over with, I go away with something that I didn't have before. Do, do you know Leonard Bernstein personally? Not not very well. I, I saw him a lot at Tanglewood. Mm-hmm. Um, but Lenny was, Lenny was a great teacher. He, to see him in, to see him not in front of a camera as a conductor was to see Leonard Bernstein. Because you see, he was the first television conductor. Hmm. And television is a visual art. You want to see some action. You don't, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not gonna pay to watch somebody who's not doing anything. I mean, that means moving. Because if you're looking in sports, right? They like NFL football, but you know that I mean more people are liking it now, but soccer, they figured, well, nothing's happening. Well, Leonard Bernstein not only had to show you the crucifixion, he had to be the crucifixion so that he became this television conductor. He showed you what he wanted you to see. Even though you might not be interested in trying to discover it through your ears, you're going to see it in pictures. And so he changed, he changed the conducting. The conductees before that, look at Toscanini, he hardly ever moved. And afterwards, it's all changed. Now, when he was, when he goes, when he's at Tanglewood and he's working with a fellowship orchestra and he's not in front of a camera, my God, man, incredible. I mean, he's an unbelievable teacher. So, we are so thankful we had you here with us today. And as we wrap up, what would what would be some encouragement you would like to give our listeners? Music is so important to the development of humanity, the humanity in people, that it's something that we should really try to bring in to our society as something that is not on the fringe, but is in is central to what a human being appreciates, loves, supports. So that because the music and music and the arts allow a person to express and create, uh, learn in ways that make them understand oneself and others. I mean, you know, I think it was Bernstein that said, when we can't express it in words, we use music. Because I can say things in music that I would be arrested for if I said it in words. Hmm. I mean, 
the, the universality of art allows me to transcend time, geographical, national, cultural borders. Everybody can do that musically. I can speak to you. If, I'm, if I go to China, I can speak to you without knowing a word of Chinese and not needing an interpreter. I mean, it is, you know, in the 1930s, in those uh, automobile plants in Detroit, Michigan, at lunch hour, when, the, when they all ate lunch in, in the factory, they sang, they sang. I mean, think about it, is the whole world sang? Because when you and I are in a great musical performance, all the differences of all the people disappear. We feel a sense of unity that is unlike any other. I mean, most people don't know what the word unity is because they've never experienced it in music. That's where you find out where unity is. All those things happen. I mean, great musical performance, everybody, no, no, no division, great unity. The minute it stops, we're back to the reality. Frank, how old are you? I'm, uh, I'll be 90 my next birthday. 90. And then uh, my question is, is how did, how have you st stayed so sharp? I mean, you're sharp as a tack. How has that happened? <laughs> I've always wanted to grow. I've always wanted to, I have great curiosity. I, I like to discover things. Things excite me. So uh, as long as you, you, as long as you can find things or pursue things that are exciting, uh, you're going to stay vital. It takes effort. I mean, you know, I'm I'm waiting to the day when I when I when I don't want to when I don't want to get up at five o'clock in the morning when I don't want to read three books at the same time. I I, I want to do those. I still want to do those things, and so. Uh, I, I don't do anything differently now than I did when I was 45 years old. I'm still interested. I still have great curiosity. I still love people. I, I don't feel any different than I did when I was 45. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I have more pains. I have more pains, you know, but uh, because physically, uh, you just don't have the strength. The strength doesn't stay there. Um, from the mind and the intellect and uh, so a lot of students have left uh because of the pandemic a lot of band programs choir programs orchestra programs have decreased in size quite a bit um if not gone on complete hiatus because of the pandemic are you worried about getting those numbers back up, getting people back involved? Do you think um, it will happen naturally or do you think there's going to have to be some sort of push for that to happen? Boy, that's a great question, I tell you. Because you can look at it from a lot of different points of view. I mean, there, there's been, there are, there are music teachers, band directors, choir directors who have 
in spite of you know all the things they've had to deal with, have tried to maintain through uh, the electronic uh, tech, technical things we have, try to do something that gives a semblance that it, music is still being carried on, right? In doing that, I mean, I can understand that. I have an appreciation for that. At the same time, it might convey the wrong message because when you when you make music, you have to be close to people. You have to share, and you have to love them. For the when you're making it, you love the people you're making music with. Afterwards, it's different, but when you're doing it, and so. I find it very, I find a lot of what I see where they put together a performance of something as a production, not as music. It's a production. You put it together and it appears to be music. But there's not the sharing that goes on. They've all done this in isolation. That's not what music is. So we have to be very, very careful. Because there's going to be administrators who say, well, look, you can do it this way. Why don't you keep on doing it this way? It's cheaper, Bob, everybody knows. So we really have to be careful about that. On the other hand, I applaud the people who are so committed that they want to try to help their students. Because there are students who want to continue to play. They really want to continue to play. I mean, I know that there are, I know places where, Band directors have received notes from their their students saying, "Oh, thank you. I I just it's just been so wonderful just to play." So I mean it's it's a it's a uh, it's it's a very difficult situation. I mean one of the things I think we should have been should be doing, and I don't well maybe we are I don't know. Um, we should think about what what we want what we want to do musically, what, what our music programs ought to be, what we ought to, what are our objectives in music programs? Because this, we're, we're gonna put something back together again. The question is, do we wanna put back together exactly what we had before? I don't, I'm not, I don't, I don't think we should. I think there's things we, that should be changed. And rather than, Having trying to defend what we have, we should be advocating for what we want. And that hasn't happened. That's what everybody, everything that I read is they're trying to do things to preserve things. And that's, I can understand that. But at the same time, when we come out of it, you know, you, it's like anything, uh, any crisis, you can look at either as a, as a crisis, a tragedy, or you can look at it as an opportunity. Well, thank you so much, Frank, for spending time with us today. Um, you can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, and we're going to have some extra uh, bonus footage interviewing with Frank Batiste um, available on YouTube or our website, www.thedirectorspodium.com. Please share and subscribe if you have enjoyed this conversation. And remember, 
to set aside some time for yourself. And we hope that we've provided you some inspiration to continue doing the vital work it is that you do. Thank you.